0: Hello, I'm Sahel Mirza, and welcome to this episode in Season 2 of Voice of Care. My guest today is Anna Severite, co convener at Social Care Future. I'm delighted to welcome Anna. Thank you very much for taking the time to travel down to London and meet with us for Voices of Care.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: It's a a pleasure. Now, in addition to being an avid tea drinker uh, and someone who's dedicated uh, to change in uh, social care, could you perhaps just give us a broad overview around Social Care Future? And it's it's a movement that many of us have heard about, some people perhaps haven't, Um, and where it was born and perhaps its vision.
1: Yeah, sure. So uh, Social Care Future is five years old, we had our fifth birthday last month. Um, we were formed really because, almost as a sort of protest I guess, there was a large conference happening yearly that talked about social care, it was all about that. But nobody with lived experience of social care could attend that conference or speak at that conference and we felt that was wrong. So we held an event over the road, for 300 people, <laughs> um, all about social care that anybody could come to. Um, but at that first event, we realised that actually people wanted a space where they could come together, talk about ideas, talk about what social care could and should be. And so from that, we decided to sort of form this thing that became Social Care Future. It is a social movement. There's not a structure. There's you know there's four of us who are conveners, but we're mostly doing that in our own time. Uh, and
0: you, also, you, you produced a couple of publications, which I love, um, talking about a movement for a gloriously ordinary life.
1: So that phrase comes from my colleague, Tricia. Um, she coined that phrase. And, but I think that's so apt because sometimes it is just that you want to be able to pop to Tesco's or put the bins out, and other times it is that you want to you know, fall in love or go on a holiday. So it's that thing of actually there's the ordinary and the glorious. But one of the first things we did was co-produce a vision for social care which I think has been taken up quite a lot now. Um, ADAS are using it in their roadmap, the House of Lords used it in their report last year um, and so that is a really simple vision, it's just we all want to live in a place we call home with the people and things that we love in communities where we look out for one another doing the things that matter to us mm. and I think what's been really powerful about that vision is it doesn't mention social care once because mm. actually too often I think people focus on social care as the product. And actually social care should just literally be there as an enabler to living that ordinary life. And at whatever stage of life you're at, because it is those connections with people that we love or the things that give us purpose. Why are you getting out of bed each morning? And even when, you know, someone's later in life, if if suddenly they're moved to somewhere that, mm. you know, miles away from where they've lived with all the people that they knew and all the familiar things gone, actually, that's not often what people want. So I think it applies to anybody. And it applies to people that don't need to draw on social care. You know, I remember at the beginning of lockdown, feeling like I was more a part of society than I'd felt in years. Mm. Because suddenly, everybody was experiencing a bit of my world, where, (laughs) you know, they couldn't just go to the shops, they couldn't just go around to friends' houses. Um, Life was restricted, and... It was those, it was people, and it was those things that make our lives worth living that people missed, wasn't it? And so that's where our vision is. No,
0: absolutely, and it's a bu- it's a beautiful vision, if I may say. So I found it very inspiring mm-hmm. to look at it. Before we go into more detail around that, because there's there's a lot that you've produced now, which is informing, as you say, ADAS and policy, uh, very broadly. Um, looking at social care as a system for a second, mm-hmm. there's been a plethora of reports, Skills for Care, you know very well, Care England, etc massive vacancies crises now you're on record or social care future on record saying there are a lot of people who are recipients of care who are working as part of the workforce uh struggling and doing their best to keep the the phrase the show on the road but despair is not an option and i think that's very uplifting but quite rightly that people are pointing out that the the sector needs more resources which is one of the things as part of your key changes that you're calling for
1: an inquiry a couple of years ago called "Whose Care Is it Anyway?" We did it mainly because, actually, as you say, there's lots of commissions, lots of panels, lots of. But actually, we thought, as a group of people with lived experience, we should hold our own because, actually, at the end of the day, who knows more about social care than the people that whose lives depend on it? So um, we came up with five key changes, and as you say, one of them was more resources mm. better used. Mm. And I think there is no doubt that social care needs better funding but i also think that a lot of the money we have now is often used on care and support that people wouldn't choose if they had a genuine choice mm-hmm. and so it's not just about putting more money into the current system in the current way it's about thinking about how we can change that system to be a better place for the people that draw on care a better place for the people that work in social care but also a place that supports everyone to just have a sense of well-being and a sense of that life in the vision, ultimately.
0: No, absolutely. And I think part of that is um, a journey of language. I think Neil Crowther, of course, who you know very well, uh, talked about how to build public trust uh, in the advocacy about what goes on. Mm. It isn't something that is done to people. Mm. The better resource, and that, that also predicates on recognition of the work that's done by the workforce within social care.
1: Yeah, I think um, too often when we did some research on what the media, how the media talks about social care, and it's all crisis, often it's always about the NHS, it's about bed Mm -hmm. blocking. it's a very deficit model, so you just hear about looking after the vulnerable, looking after our most needy, and it implies that it's done to a group of people over there. And what we wanted to say was, no, actually, it's about all of us in society. Mm -hmm. We all need some support at different times in our lives. And I think one of the narratives we kind of don't like often around workforce is this kind of hero narrative. Because actually, don't get me wrong, I'm so grateful for the PAs that I have that enable me to live this life. But at the same time, they're not sort of... It sets up this kind of strange charity model that somehow Mm -hmm. I'm like this thing that needs looking after by these heroes. And then actually, we're working together. We both give each other things. You have the agency to
0: have that policy. Yeah, of
1: course. And I think for us, it was about saying to the wider society, social care is not a thing over there that you don't want to think about and you hope you never need to use. It's actually about all of us in society. Mm It contributes a lot to society. And unless we have that conversation and we start to say, social care is something that we should all be interested in, this is what it can do. And actually give them something that, inspires hope in people and says, oh, this is something we should all get behind. Hmm. Um, So at the moment, I think it's almost fear. People are almost scared to talk about social care because they just think of care homes Um, Yes, and they don't want to go in one. So they think, you know, I'm not going to think about 20 years time when I might need to be in a care home. So I'm going to kind of ignore it and just hope it isn't, it's sorted out. Hmm. Um, But actually we all need to have that conversation about what we would want for ourselves, for our family, for our friends and how we all together as a community can make that happen
0: and I think that's I, mean, I think that's an apt point to, to, to step back I know you're a, a, an avid photographer as well so we're going to take a, <laughs> a, a broader lens if I can take a wide angle lens if I've got the right terminology uh, and I, I think the, uh, the movement uh, is calling it's a movement of doers uh, self, mm. uh, um, but it's calling for the social care environment to be reimagined and reset um, and I think that begins for me looking at it uh, within personalization. Can you expand upon that? Because I think that sits at the heart with co-production, which we'll get on to in a minute. But I'm just, if you could expand on that, because I think that's the inherent theme that you've been talking about. We've not got to change people. It's it also it's, it's systems that need to be looked at, not the people.
1: Yeah, so I suppose, I mean, personalization is just a bit of jargon, really, mm. isn't it? To mean, I suppose, seeing people as individuals and, mm. and actually making the care... And choice. fit to the person not making the person fit into the system and, and not so often I think people when they enter social care or health care you know we find ourselves being sort of pushed towards certain options or certain things to fit the system and, and choice is great I think at the moment it's often very limited but actually for people to have genuine choice and control We need systems that trust individuals, that they know Mm. the best things for their lives and families, that they know what would actually help keep them well, keep them active, keep them happy, really. I mean, I don't think we as a system often talk about happiness and sense of well-being and purpose. But those are so important. And if Mm. if you, you know, I don't just want to be got out of bed, fed and watered to just sit there and do nothing, (laughs) because actually you just become really depressed and in the long run probably cost the system more money. Mm-hmm. and actually unless we have conversations with people that says you know what is it that gets you wants, you know gives you that drive and spark and then think of creative ways to enable those things to happen people then often need less support in the longer term because they're more motivated to sort of do things and, and those creative ways I think are what we're really calling for because quite often we as a system, we put expensive care packages into people's mm. things that aren't necessarily what people even wanted. And unless we have genuine partnership conversations with people find out what it is that they really want out of their life and then look at creative ways to do it, I think we're just going to end up with more of the same.
0: Which will then require... Well, that, the definition of insanity being doing exactly the same, hoping a different outcome. And just to unpack that a little bit more, if I may, um, f- for me that's definitely the predicate of that is changing the dial on the power dynamics, um, and that takes me on to this issue of, of co-production, uh, which is a, 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 a it's a phrase that's been around in the Care Act, and uh, I think uh, think local uh, to act, act local think personal etc. I've talked about the idea that it's not merely uh, words or a concept but a meeting of minds co-production so that's how important is that in terms of getting this uh, narrative right?
1: I think for me it's essential in the sense that I think at lots of levels we need co-production or whatever you want to call it and I think power is at the heart of that Mm. so when I first started drawing on Care and Support I felt very much that I, you know, I was given these few hours that I had to be very grateful for. And I was very heavily scrutinised on how I used those hours. And there were so many rules and my life was very constrained. And so I don't feel like we were I was co-producing with my local authority then because actually they held all the power. But I think on a bigger scale, there's decisions that are made every day um, around policy tables there's conferences that still happen now with no one with lived experience As one happening this week um, seven speakers none of whom have lived experience and yet we have so many of so much of the knowledge and the ideas and the ways of things at work so I think unless you're creating systems and uh, services and communities with the people that are going to use those um, services and whose lives it affects you end up eventually having to recreate them anyway because they won't be what people want um, and they won't actually meet the needs of people and in the long run you won't meet the aspirations in the CARE Act and the, the well-being principle and all of that because actually people will be miserable and sort of stuck at home thinking why am I doing this but, so I, I think co-production for me is essential I don't think most people really understand what it is Mm. and really have got to realise it's not thinking I want to do this project, I'll find someone with lived experience to come along to the meetings. It it starts before then, it starts before that I want to do this project. What project even do you need to do? What Mm. needs to change? It's often the people with lived experience who can contribute and tell you those things. But it has to be genuinely sharing power. It's not about giving up power, it's about sharing power.
0: And I think what strikes me about that, and, and I, I see it very much as a powerful um, realisation of some of the aspirational terms in all the acts that you're talking about, mm-hmm. what does that mean in real life? I want to turn that on to the workforce because they are under tremendous pressure, mm-hmm. uh, they are underfunded, and they are also required to do more and more complex tasks mm-hmm. as the direction of travel in healthcare is people rightly stay out of acute settings. So how will we make this co-production something that also empowers the workers in social care? Because that will maybe require, and I'm thinking out loud here actually, a a re-envisioning of the way that they're trained about what they're doing.
1: Absolutely. So I think there's two things there. I think I go to meetings all the time about workforce. Mm. I sit in meetings, conferences, and I am never... I'm usually there as the one or two people with lived experience. But I don't think I ever, apart from my own PA, who I bring because I need to support me, see a member of the actual workforce there. It's a lot of people who earn an awful lot of money (laughs) in very senior roles, and have done some great things, don't get me wrong, talking about the issues that the workforce face. And I always think, to start with, that's wrong in my mind, that there should be people there who actually do these jobs, who can tell the people who earn the money, what the actual issues are and can have those discussions. So I think co-production needs all the voices in the room and I think the workforce often are left out of those conversations completely and that's wrong. I also think that as budgets got tighter Mm. and um, more constrained, a lot of certainly local authorities and I suspect other care organisations sort of became more like care management Mm. and counted every penny and everything was very rule-based and we need to to go back to the sort of more perhaps before that where individual staff and people working in social care had more autonomy Mm. you know i think i love it where i've heard of examples where people in local teams you know they have small pots of money that they don't have to go through 10 stages of (laughs) sign off to, to use they can say oh you know, Mrs. So and So, her and her washing machine's broken down, and actually, that's massively impacting on her health and well-being at the moment. Let's just get it fixed. Mm-hmm. Um, that might not normally be seen as a social care thing, but actually, if you do that, then she'll, you know, look after her, um, her health. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know. you know, it's these little things, and it's or it's about how somebody might think. Oh, I've been seeing Mrs. So and So for a while, and I know she likes used to go to the bingo club on a Tuesday actually Mm. why don't I come on a Tuesday next week and take her to that club and reconnect with the people that she used to go to you know so it's it's about how we can have the workforce seeing their role in a different way and supported to feel able to use their own ideas and creativity because I think unless we do that we've just got people that Sort of go in to do what they've been told a to task. do to other people. Yes. Yes. And they're not seeing it as a as a relationship and an individual that they're meeting, and thinking how can I improve this person's life? It's not just about feeding and watering and medication. Yeah.
0: And that and that requires in the in the document that I, I I've seen that you've produced the movement for a gloriously ordinary life, talking about a, a culture change mm. and an attitude change. Yeah. As part of a bridge, as I see it, to celebrate the sector and what it can do for all the actors.
1: Yeah, I mean, I look at my PAs and they're paid more than they would get if they worked for an agency. Of course, I don't have any management fees, so that helps. (laughs) but they go all over the place with me and they come and do all sorts of interesting things. Now, some days, don't get me wrong, we do the washing and mm. they, they cook me a shepherd's pie or something, but other days, you know, my one's in London with me today. Absolutely. Where, you know, yes. we, we go to the theater or whatever I'm doing, they're with me. And it's a really interesting and different job. And I think if we can create support that works well for people, that gives them an interest in life, I think there are probably gonna be more interesting roles supporting those people. Oh than perhaps a lot of the jobs currently in the sector. And I suppose I wouldn't want to have to work in a care in a care setting where I didn't feel I could give the, the support I wanted to give someone, where I was having to just do, you know, very quick visits or rush in, rush out. Um, that wouldn't feel so satisfying. So I think if we can get to a place, it will be better for both parties, if that makes sense.
0: No, it does make sense. Um just finally want to sort of push that lens even further back to use that analogy and look ahead. You've got a 10-year vision in in that document Mm -hmm. um, where you talk about um, a new story of care. A couple of elements that struck me. One one was the point you've alluded to, but if you could expand, please, the funds. Now, funds and and the money and the provision have to go through the system. Mm -hmm. But you've talked about the idea that actually rather than those funds simply following that, usual pipelines some of them co-commission wise could be redirected to and I think you use the phrase non-traditional activities what what do you mean by that that's I guess a a function of the fact that people are empowered to make these uh, proactive decisions.
1: Yes I think um, currently for many many reasons which I won't go into you know we've we've got to a place where at the moment really people get support when they hit crisis Mm -hmm. point And then the money comes in to try and sort of solve that problem and then keep them really where they're at. And I suppose I think that money in the wider system needs to move upstream, and there's a bit of jargon for us, (laughs) um, towards the prevention model. Um, But, you know, towards the wider community, the things that keep people connected and well in the community so that hopefully people won't hit those crisis points Mm -hmm. but obviously some of us are always going to need some practical social care but I would like to see it that more people had the choice over where that what that money is spent on and and at the moment we have direct payments which is one method Mm -hmm. for that which is what I use but that doesn't suit everyone and I think that needs to be made a lot simpler and easier so that even if people don't want to become the employer and have all of that hassle because mm. it is hassle um, they can still say well actually I think it will work for me if I had this person come around three hours a week and maybe someone else can be the employer I don't know but there has to be ways f- for people to have choice and not just what often happens at the moment someone goes out and says you can have three visits a day and that's that and actually has a proper conversation with someone and says, well, what, what, would, what do you want to do? What would actually work for you? What, and, and can have examples of much more creative ways to use the money. You know, I'm going to hand back quite a lot of my direct payment this year. Mm. But I've used some of it on really, on not just PA hours. And I think we have to get beyond just thinking of social care is only delivered like this and think well what other ways could it be Mm. you know there are technology there are many new things coming through and I think some of that is it is that culture change it is around trusting people it's around not assuming that we're all trying to fiddle the system (laughs) and steal our direct payments but actually that we're just trying to live our lives and we know how best to do
0: that and I guess one of the Avenues that could happen. We've got a Health and Care Act, a statutory pre- uh, footing for uh, integrated care systems mm-hmm. now, which are supposed to speak mm-hmm. of, to all the actors, whether they're for, you know voluntary sector, local authority, NHS. I, I guess uh, unless i have not, I've missed it, which is quite possible. Uh, I haven't seen it, it's, uh, it's. There's certainly no ubiquity around people with lived experience sitting on those integrated systems. No,
1: um, I don't think. I think there's some. There are some f- fluffy words in mm. things around, you know, talking to the community and, mm. and things. But in most areas, I don't think that's genuine co-production and I don't think people with lived experience are in the places of power for sure. Mm. I suppose ICBs offer an opportunity to look at an area from a much, you know, to what I would like I often think this, you know, if, if all of the money that was assigned to me from different places, benefits agencies, health, social care, kind of was one pot, mm-hmm. <laughs> and then I could say, well, actually, this would, is what would make sense to me. Now, that's never going to happen in that nice, neat way. But what I hope is that as a broader community, people can look at an area and say, actually, in this area, what would support people? Before they hit the crisis point, before they need to go to hospital, before they need um, intervention. What can we do that will keep people well for longer, improve people's well-being? You know, all these things like loneliness, poverty, we know these have massively impact people's health and well-being. And I think and until we start seeing people's health in a much broader frame, even things like transport. You know, mm-hmm. if people are stuck in their houses because they can't physically get anywhere, that... An impact on life and absolutely, um, and also on the workforce because they can't get places. So you know, I think a lot of this stuff is nothing new. It's just that there hasn't been prioritised.
0: Well, I think I think uh, a a new role for um, uh, lived experience advocates in the integrated care system may be something uh, people could take away. One very final question. (laughs) One final (laughs) question. Um, Election um, and um, whatever that may bring. Mm As a clinician yourself, doctor, um, advocate here, I know the movement talks about one being born of frustration uh, but empowered by hope. What would you hope to see happen?
1: So I think it's clear that whoever is next in government is not going to suddenly be um, the magic money tree that was discussed, has been mentioned in the past. I think what I would hope would happen is that whoever is next in government will take a longer view instead of one year kind of stop gaps, but will actually say, we will kind of take on this challenge of proper reform. We'll do it with people with lived experience, we'll do it with people that work in the sector. We'll base it on a sense of individuals having that genuine choice and control, but also around communities that... Putting some support into those community things that have just been decimated, because I think we really need to get back to those that sense of what was there in the past around you know community development and just supporting people to live those good ordinary lives. And also, I'd really hope that the next government changes the way they talk about people. You know, I don't want to hear talking about the, vulner- the vulnerable and the elderly and this othering but just talking about the things we all need to keep well and we can all be vulnerable at certain times in our lives and if I don't get the right care and support that makes me vulnerable Hmm. but actually I also have things to offer and I can contribute and I have some agency and I think often you know we're very ageist in this country we limit older people oh they're old they need looking after well actually people still have some agency um, you know whatever stage of life I'm at even if I can't remember what day of the week it is I still want to be asked what I want for dinner or to choose which you know what dress I wear because actually I will still have some agency and I think we have to see people as individuals
0: whose, voice,
1: whose voices matter yeah
0: on that um, inspiring <laughs> note Anna Severite thank you very much for your time and your candor
1: nice to meet you thank you my me. pleasure
0: if you enjoyed this episode of Voice of Care, please like, follow or subscribe wherever you receive your podcasts. And if you want to find out more about how we're empowering the healthcare workforce of the future, please visit newcrosshealthcare.com forward slash Voices of Care. In the meantime, I'm Sahel Mirza. Thank you very much and I look forward to seeing you on the next episode.